There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher. We've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, Centauri and I were joined by Jim Waring. Jim represents District 2 on the Phoenix City Council. He's a dedicated public servant the city is fortunate to have. We had a great conversation that went from various issues facing Phoenix as well as other cities all across the United States and the best way to deal with them to the ways in which people can become involved in the political process at the local as well as national level and the importance of civility and communication with one another. You can find more information about Jim at jimwaring.com as well as some other places listed in the show notes. Thanks as always for listening. Remember to tell a friend. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Good to see you. Well, both Centauri and I appreciate and understand that it's better to not ask what your country can do for you, rather ask what you can do for your country. So in the spirit of that, helping us move from awareness to action today is Phoenix City Councilman Jim Waring. How are you, sir? Thanks for having me on, fellas. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Being here. Thank you very much. Well, it seems like there's a lot of anger in the whole political world today, uh, a little bit of frustration. What's wanted to get your take on that in general? So I, I'm a door knocker. I'm not sure that's how you and I met because you're a constituent from my district and actually a neighbor as well. But I, uh, I've i been out knocking on doors here again. I was doing it last year. Now I'm doing it, uh, you know, it's pretty much a daily uh, daily thing for me. I'm going to go out right after the show meeting meeting voters and people in my district. And, uh, you know, really it's been going extremely well. Uh, there hasn't been the anger that, that you hear. Um, I think there was some frustration last year during the presidential campaign but, but mostly people seem pretty happy in, in our district, um, you know, but, uh, but not so much with, me, with the national folks. Obviously, they understand I'm a city elected official, so that's a little different, I think, than, than probably how they view the national government, which, generally speaking, when I talk to people, they're taking budget concerns that they have about spending, the Woodstock Museum, wasteful spending, and so forth, and it... It's sort of that's what they, nobody knows as much about city or state as they do about the federal government. Right, right. And, and so if they have frustrations about other things, that may come up at some point. But for the most part, it's a reflection of what they think of you as a representative or, or we're getting to know each other because I've met them before. Um, and I haven't really seen the anger that, that other people are talking about. Just to give our listeners um, an idea of, uh, what you do. Can you give us a little bit about the scope of work of your position? Sure. City Council, uh, there are eight members of the Phoenix City Council. Uh, there are 200,000 people in each of the eight districts. Plus there's a mayor who represents the 1.5, 1.6 million people we have in the city. So he's elected citywide, he or she, in this case a he, is elected citywide. And then we have eight council members who, for better or worse, or maybe ill phrase, but kind of divvy up the city. There are boundaries for our districts. Uh, our district is in Northeast Phoenix, the district I represent. So uh, each district has its own unique character. Uh, it can be much different. Some districts skew more Republican. Some districts skew more Democrat. The city as a whole has tended to lean Democrat, at least in its elections. The makeup of the council is six to three Democrat to Republican, and the mayor is, is one of the Democrats. 
Um, but we, we have kind of the major responsibilities of the city are police and fire. That's probably 70, 75% of our budget. Libraries, garbage, own the water department, own the airport, and then, uh, you know, other things. Street repair is one of those. Uh, that's probably the biggest group of things uh, that the city takes care of. And, and it's obviously a big responsibility. We have about a $1.2 billion budget. And the airport and the water department, I think, are about a billion dollars each mm. per year. So it's about $3 billion. For frame of reference, I think Governor Ducey's budget this year, this coming fiscal year for the state, his proposed budget, is about $9.8 billion. And the state's been, the last 10 years, uh, the state was in that ballpark about 10 years ago before the crash, too. So it's about a third the size of the state of Arizona. Okay. It's a good size. It's, it's, it's a big responsibility. What, what are some of the biggest issues that you're facing right now? Well, the budget uh, situation at Phoenix is, is going to go from perhaps balanced but problematic to we're going to be in a little bit of dire straits, to my mind. We just had a budget presentation about a week or so ago. This isn't new news. This is something you could see coming, I think, for a long time. It's unfortunate that here we've got the stock market at almost 20000 You've got you know an economy that's growing. It's not what we'd all like to see it be, but it's definitely growing. Yet we're talking about budget concerns in the city of Phoenix. The pension issue, and frankly, I think overspending in some areas or misguided spending in some areas, but the pension issue is one that is extremely important in the city of Phoenix. It is uh, gouging out large chunks of the mm. budget every year. It's, it's maybe like you might consider it analogous to entitlement programs at the federal level, but it is Pac-Man gobbling up a lot in its path, and because of a lot of the pension costs are in the state system with the police and firefighters, people maybe remember that Prop 124 was on the ballot last year. People passed it, I think, 80-20. It passed overwhelmingly, but that didn't solve the city's problem. And so the city is spending dramatically more on pension costs now than it was 10 years ago when our revenue was about the same. You know, our revenue has been, it's been all, it dropped pretty precipitously, but it's back up to about where it was roughly 10 years ago at the 1.2 billion, 1.3 billion, but the pension costs are astronomically higher, and that will not add. Um, so so it, it continues to increase. Since that's pretty much guaranteed money, in my opinion, yes. right? Yes, you can't. The you, there's nothing you can really do much about it, right? No. There's nothing you can do. No, but you can be proactive. Uh, the city waited way too long to address this issue. I brought that up at the council meeting last week. Some took issue with that. But the city really didn't take any steps that I'm aware of until 2013 which was extremely frustrating. You had pension spiking, you had you know, large pensions, you had pensions based on, on different criteria that are, are no longer operative for new employees going forward. You can change things for new employees going forward. Right. And that's what voters were asked to do in 2013. Then in 2015, the city turned right back around and frankly gave back a lot of those gains, I think about $296 million of those gains, kind of slid under the radar and, and were basically given back. I, I wasn't really sure. Other changes were made that were positive, but but it wasn't worth the cost to my mind. And so overall, the city employees who are not police and fire, that's about 35% of our workforce, they are in the COPRA system, the City of Phoenix pension system. That has at least plateaued. If they would have got started earlier, years before, and been more proactive, wouldn't have reached as high a plateau. But still, at least, at least the trend is our friend there. We're getting a grip on the problem. The, the rest of the employees, the police and fire, they're in the state system. And even though the uh, change was made with Prop 124 last May, it still hasn't solved our problem. Those pension costs continue to rise 
pretty dramatically. And uh, how we're going to address it, nobody seems to have an answer. Mm. In the meantime, you know, taxes have gone up. The city, since August of 2015, has raised sales tax, property tax, water bill, parking at the airport to the tune of about $10 million. And in 2014, I believe it was, for the 2014-15 fiscal year, raised fees on services, I think, about $11 million. So while we got rid of the food tax, other costs went up fairly dramatically for residents, and there aren't really lots of new services. One of the few things that people could point to as something that was going to be new, that was sort of high profile, uh, was body cameras for police, and that contract was canceled today. So you're, you're breaking that news, I guess. But, uh, but they let us know this morning that the new chief had some concerns. Yeah, I had concerns just because it's a lot of money, and why are we doing this when we're looking for a new chief who may have a different view about what kind of cameras and, and how effective they are, and obviously the technology is improving. You know, every year it's getting cheaper and stuff like those are really expensive to run, and now we're not doing it, so all this time and money was effectively wasted, and it sounds like we're going to be starting over. Yeah. yeah, so not a lot to show for, for a lot of tax increases and uh, increased expenditure of the city. It, it's a little bit frustrating. I'm in the minority party on the council, so... You know, not surprising, I take issues with a lot of decisions that have been made, but I do think some of the decision-making, as in the body camera case, was a little problematic and puzzling from the start. I think that this is probably a mirror or uh, the uh, exact image of the national scene of some of the things that other communities are struggling with, paying too much in pension. Do you think that that's accurate? Uh, we have... I wouldn't say lesser problems in other cities, um, but other cities have done a worse job managing their money, and I can point to lots of big cities around the country that are in more dire straits. The entire state of Illinois, where I'm from, mm -hmm. is really struggling, period. A few years ago, they enacted a major tax increase. I still have friends and relatives who live back there, and I forget the numbers. It was a huge tax increase. I believe it was an income tax. I believe it might have been like a 50% income tax. And they still were running a deficit in the billions. So you can raise taxes dramatically, you're still running a deficit. The city of Chicago is selling assets for parking and so forth, and they're still in dire straits. And they run the school system there, so that has implications beyond you know, what we would face here in Phoenix, where we don't run the school system. Um, it, it is, uh, some of the cities back east are, are really struggling, and a lot of those places are, are places that people here moved from, they came here, and they call their elected officials and say, I want you to be just like that place that's going bust. I, I've always kind of wondered, first of all, you left that place, so it couldn't have been that great. And second, do you really want us to be exactly like them, spend exactly like them? Because they're really struggling, and I don't know how they're going to pull out. I think there's still time for us to make the requisite changes. I think you're seeing them at the state level with things Governor Ducey is doing, and he's really bringing a businessman's sense to this and really making sure that every dollar is accounted for. And I applaud those efforts because that's very necessary. How do you reconcile taking a business-like approach versus taking care of people? Well, first of all, um, you know, communities have to take care of themselves. And, and we don't mm -hmm. always do a fantastic job of that. You know, um, we have a little bit different and, and unique structure here in Arizona because so many people are from somewhere else. You right. just go to a sports game and you see people rooting for Good point. the team from Chicago or Philadelphia <clears throat> or wherever. Um, so, so we really have to sort of band together. Um, that hasn't always been a strength here. Um, people still donate to charities back east and so forth. And that's one thing I always encourage, even within my own family, 
you know, why don't we focus on our community here? There are good causes everywhere, right. but this is our home, um, right. and and we want to make it as, as robust and a great a setting as we possibly can. Um, I do think uh, the state does do everything in its power to take care of, of people, to your point. Um, there's a lot of discussion about schools right now, which which I won't wade into just because I, I don't have a say, but um, uh, other than just as a citizen like everybody else. But I think the legislature is doing what it can, can within the confines of keeping a friendly business climate because you really need to attract businesses to the state. I have every confidence that Governor Ducey is the person who's, who's capable of doing that. I think he's a very effective advocate for our state. And that's really what we need to do. For example, in our district, we're pushing very hard to expand the area around Mayo Clinic. That is a real, and I use the word amenity, I guess that's just for lack of a better word, but uh, Mayo Clinic is something that is one of the top it is, if there was a department store, it would be Nordstrom's. I mean, it is a top of the line in right. healthcare. We, George, are very fortunate uh, to have it, you know, right in our back door, uh, backyard, excuse me. And and we're trying to partner with ASU, Mayor Stanton. Uh, I applaud his efforts in this as well. There's a lot of space around Mayo Clinic. We're trying to work with the state land department. Just went to another presentation where this was discussed this morning. And ASU to make sure that we maximize the educational opportunities, the healthcare opportunities, and the job opportunities mm. for that area. Our economic development people tell us that is probably the most sought after piece of land anywhere between Dallas and the Pacific Ocean. When you think about the freeways, hmm. the open space, the access to labor, you've got wow. you know, nice communities right there and the potential to expand those communities with all the state trust land that is very nearby, really right across the street. Um, these are the kind of things that, that so you're talking about you know, doing things for people, providing jobs, excellent health care, excellent educational opportunities, you maximize your opportunities with program projects like that, that's going to happen. And that, that's what we need to be focusing on. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes we get bogged down other, other details and don't make the most of the opportunities that are staring us right in the face. So what's happening at the city level to hit on those points? So Jobs. we met with, uh, oh, well, for Mayo or just in general? Just in, in general. In general. So uh, what I believe, my personal view, the city is if you provide low crime rate, we, we don't deal with schools, so we're a little bit out of that. Obviously, good education is something as well. We where's, have the climate. Where are schools held? Uh, state, state okay. level. So state level, state provides money to school boards. School boards divvy up the money amongst the uh, uh, public school system. But for us, you know, we're really trying to make sure our community is safe, that it's well maintained. We deal with graffiti. You know, we have programs to get rid of graffiti. We have programs to get rid of it. You see shopping carts by the side of the road. We're trying to make sure that our areas stay in pristine condition and that when impossible employers come to Phoenix, we can show them places like City North, again, in District 2, up on High Street, just, just by Deer Valley. Um, you know, again, those are the places that, that people from back east or California with their tax rates, they want to come here. Governor Ducey talks about that a lot in his State of the State speeches. And he is not wrong. People do want to come here. People can quote about how many people are coming here, but people will flock to Arizona if they can sell their house in Michigan. And that's really the crux of it. When the world economy collapses and everything puts a break, people who want to move now can't because of economic factors, obviously, behind <clears throat> state and local officials' control. But I do think the opportunities are there for us to try to attack people. We partner with GPEC. Greater Phoenix Economic Council that goes out and tries to recruit businesses to come to Arizona. And there are a lot of opportunities and there have been successes. Um, we need to have more of those. 
I think we need to lower the regulatory burden. And I think, again, they're doing that at the state level, not so much at the city level. But if you've watched sort of the fights between the state and the city, the state basically is winning. I guess I would frame it like that. And so I think you're going to see more business people find this to be an attractive climate and they'll come in and hopefully um, provide good, high-paying jobs. So when people are here, this is uh, something that I'd love to get your thoughts on. How do you bring, how do you build Phoenix pride, right? So everyone here is from somewhere else, and you made it. Not everyone, but, well, but a lot of, of, a lot of generation. People, yeah, yeah but, a yes. lot of people are from uh, somewhere else, and if you look at the world of philanthropy, people don't give here because they're giving elsewhere, or people um, don't seem to have a particular loyalty to Phoenix. They love being here, but they don't really seem to want to invest in the community. How do you build that pride? And I don't know if it's still true, but part of it was, you know, people moved here. I'd see it in my areas all the time. People would move here for a job or whatever else, and then they'd move away after a few years. I think the average stay at one point was like three years. Mm. Those are much dated statistics, so so it's been a while, and I'm sure that's changed now. But you didn't have people, you know, putting down roots. It's, it's hard to overcome that. that that's tricky. Um, I am seeing more as I go around and door knock. You know, it had been pretty stable for a long time because people couldn't sell their houses. Mm-hmm. You know, they were they were definitely um, in a situation where they were underwater. So, so people clearly, there was a lot less movement than I had witnessed in the early 2000s. You're starting to see that again. So that's a hurdle we have to overcome. But the fact that we have net population gains pretty much year after year, we are a gross state, obviously states back east are not. Um, you know, I think eventually, once you... My kids are six to, you know, I'm a first generation. I moved here in 1991, but my kids now are actually sixth generation Arizonans. And I think they're going to grow up knowing nothing but Arizona. I'm going to inculcate that in them. I think this is the best place in the world. You know, the one thing that I will say to your point about people moving here is we don't get to pick who our parents are. You don't get to pick who your siblings are. But if you moved here from another state, you did get to pick where you want to live. And so deep down, for some reason, and everybody has different reasons for moving somewhere, for me it was educational opportunity, you know what, if you're staying here, we're, we're sort of, the, the, the folks are self-selecting, they're deciding to stay, they're going to be really vested in this community. I think you're seeing that a lot more in our politics in the last 10 years, I think people are more into it, at least that's, you know, I've been doing this for a while, so I think people are more, more into it and, and more understanding than they've ever been. I think social media and some other factors have, have also heightened awareness. But I definitely think you're going to see um, people staying and being more involved in this community rather That's than worrying so much about yeah. what's going on back home. I think you can see it in a, an example. I don't know if you guys are sports fans, but I'm a sports fan. Like the Arizona Cardinals. Just think about where they were when they were playing in Tempe, which wasn't really their stadium, and they were sort of transplants themselves. But now, 20, 25 years on, playing in their own stadium. They sell out every game. You see Cardinal Apparel, which really you, you didn't used to see. Even 10 right. years ago, you didn't see. Now, you see it everywhere you go. People are wearing Cardinal hats, shirts, if you go to the gym. That's that's a big change. Mm. I think you're going to see that. Let me seem like a simplistic example to your listeners, but I think the same underlying kind of cause and effect is the same. People are here longer. They grow up with something, and now they're fans. I think people stay here. They grow up with something. Now they're interested in the politicians here. So forth. I mean, I talk to people all the time when I knock on doors. They knew who Senator McCain was, but but they maybe struggled with the other senator. But they knew who the senators were in Indiana, mm-hmm. which is where they were from. You know, they knew. It's just, you know, I think that over time, I think that gets addressed. And you'll see people more of an active here. So you um, you hear more and more that real change ha- happens at the local level. So how do we have our listeners wherever they are—Chicago, Phoenix, Miami? 
be more in tune about what's happening in their community. Everyone knows what's happening nationally. Everyone knows what's going on on the big scale. But how do people find out what's going on in their own backyards, which is where the real things actually affect them are going on? I always think people, we have big districts. I guess first I'll say that. Both the state senate and then house levels and then also the city council. We have big districts. By big, I mean, remember I said 200,000 people in each district. Well, if you look at it, I think only Los Angeles has bigger districts. Chicago, mm. it's about 54,000. Even even cities that are bigger than ours, we're, we're the sixth biggest city in the country. So you're really talking about Philadelphia, Houston, Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York. Um, their, their districts are smaller. So we have bigger areas to cover, and my district is quite big size-wise as well. The outlying areas obviously haven't filled in, so we have a bigger area to cover. We have the same number of people spread over a bigger um, uh, footprint. But, but we are still accessible, particularly with social media. I would encourage anybody who's listening who's interested, you know, write an email. Don't send a form email. I never think that's effective. I don't think volume matters. I think what, at least in, in my office, in my years of doing this, and I also think, uh, and most of my colleagues, we, we talk just like any other business about what we see. You know, if you send a heartfelt email, I don't remember exactly how George and I met, but I think it was something along these lines. Just write an email saying, hey, I'd like to come in and visit, or could you give me a call? I want to discuss an issue with you. Um, a lot of times, speaking to the anger issue that you brought up at the beginning, you get sort of you know, a hateful screed or something or something laden with sarcasm or, you know, that's not an effective way to start any relationship. Right. Probably most people didn't meet our spouses that way. I mean, we don't need that in depth of a relationship, but you know, insulting someone is probably the best way to get off on a good Probably family. not. Um, but, uh, unfortunately it happens all too often. Uh, but Facebook, you know, that just, for whatever reasons, Facebook, there was just a Time Magazine story recently about behavior on the internet when it's not face-to-face. -face. I'm a big believer in face-to-face -face meetings as opposed to uh, the other. Uh, phone conversations will do if you can't make a face-to-face -face meeting. I think most of my colleagues, I know I do it all the time. I've had people, to your point about people being transplants, I get people several times a year. I just moved into this area. I just had one the other day. I don't know anybody here. Or I don't know anything about the politics here. Uh, door knocking on Monday. I went out all day Monday, and a fellow's like, wow, I, I just moved in six months ago, and I was really involved. He was from Pittsburgh, very involved. He had a question about a wash by his house, but he also said, just, I want to get involved. Can we get together? I said, absolutely. I, I love those kind of conversations. Um, doesn't necessarily mean the person's going to vote for me or be a supporter. They might not even be my party, but I do like getting good ideas for people, and um, that does happen, particularly when I go out and, and meet people in the as much as I do it, the volume uh, I do it, and I, I meet a lot of people, and you get good ideas. When I was in the state legislature, I did bills for people who wrote in, they had an idea for a bill, and uh, and we got it through. Mm. They were they were pretty surprised and pretty excited when their bill actually became a law, uh, and uh, that happened a few times. And and you know it does happen. It's just unfortunately most people don't avail themselves of that opportunity. Really, we're at this point, you know, if you have a name, you're just a Google click away. A lot of the contacts that I get, because people have met me personally and they haven't met Senator Flake or they haven't met Senator McCain because it's just it's too big of an area. Obviously, they can't go out and meet everybody. It's Six million people plus in Arizona. So what, what I get is, Jim, I don't know if this is your domain or not, but I have an issue with the state prisons. Well, it's not. It's the state legislature. But they don't know their state legislator. Mm -hmm. So we put them in touch. That's really one of the... Right. the the services I think we provide happily is, and the congressman sends stuff to us and, and we all sort of will trade, but you got to make that first 
you got to at least make some kind of move right. um, to let us know uh, that, hey, there's an issue or there's a pothole on my street. We have trucks going around all the time. I drive around all the time. But I think we have 5,000 plus miles of streets in the city of Phoenix. Obviously, there isn't a city employee or a council person who's driving over all of them every day all the time. That's just not realistic. And so we're, we're kind of looking for people to be the eyes of ears. Hey, there's graffiti at such and such. <coughs> Excuse me. We'll get trucks out there and get it taken care of. Just, you know, let us know. There, there was one constituent, I remember, uh, off the, the 101 at about 16th Street. Um, he, he called in. And we got the graffiti fixed, you know, the next day or something. And he was so excited. And then he started calling in graffiti from, like, all the district. I was thrilled. And then at one point, he, he, he almost felt bad. He's like, ah, I'm probably bothering. Like, no, I want to know. You know, I don't want to I don't want to sit there for six months. I live here, too. You know, I pay taxes here, too. I want it to look nice, too. And so uh, so I always appreciate calls like that. And I think they serve a real purpose. Um, technology has made it so much easier than it was you know, 20 years ago, you kind of had to write a letter or probably call and, you know, old-fashioned answering machines. Today, it's it's really not that hard to get in touch. Um, you know, just call or, or ask. The only problem I have is when people post things that are demonstrably not true on Facebook <coughs> or something, where it would be so simple to ask, you know, they or they, they post something, I voted the opposite way of what they're saying. That's all public record. It's all out there. It's easy to find. Or just call and ask. Right. If I had one theme for all of what I think you guys are talking about, just call and ask. You know, that, that would be... That is a good action. One. Just call and ask. This is an extremely important topic. And the whole idea of the show, again, is moving from awareness to action. If you are frustrated by anything going on in the political process, the first place you need to start is your local politics. And here we've got Jim Waring telling us that not only does he have time, but he likes to hear from people that have questions or want to be proactive in the process. Um, and that's got to be the first place that you start. So if you're frustrated, reach out to your local representatives. How do you figure out who those folks are? And not, not just here in Phoenix, but sure. if it's somebody listening somewhere else. Sure. Uh, City of Phoenix obviously has a website. If you just Google City of Phoenix. It's the first thing that comes up. Uh, if you if you know what district you're in, if you did Google the district, if you have my name, we're not very creative at jimwaring.com. So the website is just jimwaring.com, uh, and we do get we do get comments. I, I don't mean to make it sound like we don't, but we do have a city of 1.6 million people. Right. I get comments from all around the city because I've been around for a while. So so I take those two. People are like, hey, I don't think it's your district, or I'm not in your district, but I own a property. Could you just direct me? Always happy to, or you know, I, I will always share that information with the, the person whose district it is, but but I've called staff about projects in other districts and so forth and say, hey, what's going on here? It seems like this is taking too long or you didn't get back to people. Um, I always ask, one thing I, I always ask of homeowners associations or whatever else, or just individuals, is if you're going to call the city water department about a leak, just CC me or CC one of us. I just, I always feel a little better. It's nothing against you know bureaucrats around the city. We got fourteen thousand employees, and I do fall see that some of that stuff falls under the cracks. And then six weeks later, I hear about it. But the problem's been going on; it's been festering, kind of feeding the <coughs> anger that you sure. talked about right, earlier, right. which isn't really you know fair to the elected official that didn't know anything about it until obviously with fourteen thousand employees and three billion dollars worth of budget, basically you, you don't know where everything is at every one time. But if you if you just like include us on there, we can follow up. 
and not even necessarily get things done quicker, just make sure that they're on track to get fixed. I was out door knocking again this weekend, and, and a friend noticed a water leak on Paradise Lane, which isn't very far from our house, George, and uh, our houses. And, uh, and you know, we're going to get somebody out there. For the water leak issue, people sometimes get frustrated. Uh, and I understand frustration. It doesn't get fixed right away. But the water department would come back and say, well, we, we go to the biggest leaks first. If there's a big leak on the west side, and water leaks take a little while to fix, so people do get frustrated with the water department, or me because it doesn't get done the next day, but they try to do it. How, how are we wasting the least amount of water? Leaks are inevitable. They do happen. Right. We've got older infrastructure. But that makes sense to me. And usually, the other night, we had a complaint. It was later at night. Uh, a woman... Uh, actually, I don't know. I think it was a woman or a man, but a man called me about an issue at somebody's house uh, where there was a leak. It had been going on, I guess, for a little while. And so they asked for a follow-up. So I had the water department director talk to them that night. And she walked them sort of through the process and so forth. Apparently, this leak must not have been as, as big as other leaks that they were addressing. They do monitor the leaks to make sure they haven't gotten worse, but they're trying to do them rather than first come, first serve. Obviously, it makes more, more sense, sense to yeah. do... You know, let's try to save as much water as possible uh, as soon as we can. I understand people don't understand the process. But again, sometimes these things wind up on Facebook and everything when, you know, a phone call, we could have explained the process, which I, I do think is reasonable. Now, you could argue you should raise our taxes and hire lots more people to work in the water department. I guess we could do that. We're, we're choosing sort of this middle. Oh, come path. on, Jim. Yeah, so at, at some point, you know, we, we just don't have enough people to fix every leak within an hour. Otherwise, they'd be sitting around a lot, too. So, so generally, um, like for city web, websites, I'm just going Indiana, right? So uh, Indianapolis, I could just go to the Indianapolis city website to see who the council City of Phoenix there. website is needlessly complicated. I have railed against it. They completely redid it. I still think it's got too much stuff, and it isn't as simple as it can be. But you can't find us on there. Okay, pretty easily and uh, again if you google council district 2 phoenix or city council phoenix you're going to find us in pretty short order okay. so um, even if you don't know what district you're in email all of us people right. do that all the time you know why not <clears throat> and i know that this isn't necessarily your scope of expertise but if somebody was interested in getting involved at the national level if they're worried about who President-elect Trump was going to appoint to the Supreme Court, what would you recommend that they do? Well, certainly contact your local representatives. Um, you know, the congressional offices, you know, we represent about 200,000 people. They represent eight or 900,000. So you start getting up to, you know, it gets a little harder for the, the individual to respond personally to every contact request. But they do have staffs. Um, I would certainly encourage people to contact Senator Flake's office, Senator McCain's office, and then whoever their congressperson is. But that certainly doesn't preclude them contacting the other Congress people as well. Um, that's certainly fair game, too. There's, there's nine of them. If you have a specific issue, because I, I do know something about how these things work, if you have an issue with, with veterans, you may want to contact every office, but that won't necessarily get your issue resolved quicker because they all go to the same source, and it might actually wind up confusing the issue. Mm. So what you want to do is make contact. I believe in face-to-face, -face, um, and again, the addresses for these offices are all uh, all readily accessible online. If people aren't online, which about a third of Arizona isn't. Um, you also, you know, phone books, make a call, uh, go to the library, they will have the information. <clears throat> Libraries are wonderful resources that people don't recognize, have a lot of the information they're looking for, and frankly, you don't have to just go and sort of hunt and peck. You can go and just ask, 
hey, where would I find the list of my congressional representatives and mm. uh, their office addresses? They'll be able to help you. Uh, at either the ASU libraries or the City of Phoenix libraries, I'm sure the other libraries are the same. They have resources. Most people just, you know, unfortunately don't avail themselves of these opportunities. They also have computers for free. Um, if, if you don't have a computer at home or it's broken or, or some such, you can go to the library for free. You can use the libraries, at least at the Phoenix libraries, that's the way it is, and I believe the other ones as well. So again, you can have access uh, really during the day. It's, it's, they put an hour limit, but it rolls over if nobody's waiting for the computers. Mm -hmm. you know, they'll, they'll let you pretty much go all day. I've seen people there uh, doing job searches, you know, mm -hmm. trying to pay bills and so forth. Uh, you know, I think that's a helpful service that, again, I don't know if people aren't as aware or, or just, you know, don't, don't have means to get out there. Um, with Phoenix, we have Dial-A-Ride, too. So, so in a lot of cases, they'll come pick you up, take you to the library. You can do your business, get the information you need, and then go home again as well uh, for really next to nothing. Um, so we have tried to put the tools. You guys spoke earlier about, you know, taking care of citizens. At some point, you also have to be proactive yourself, uh, and asking for help is one of those things. Um, we don't always want. I did my dissertation at ASU, and I remember my dissertation that you do sort of a defense, so a hearing. They told me, and it was good advice that I got when I was 29 or 30, however old I was, you know, I don't know, but I will find out and get back to you, is actually an acceptable answer. You can't use it all the time, but <laughs> as long as you do actually follow up and get back to the person. Right. That's, you know, in a timely fashion. Uh, and I've always tried to take that to heart. The reason we have computers and everything is we can't store everything in our heads. And so, uh, but I hope in the show I'm giving you some practical advice, illustrating some of the challenges we have about the population here coming from other places, not being as vested necessarily in Arizona as you might see other places. But, but there are ways I think that's changing for the better. And I think uh, hopefully Phoenix and the state are providing the resources for people to address their concerns, uh, we just you know we're looking for we're looking for more work, not less. So. And I, I could certainly provide a testimonial that um, whenever I reach out to my city councilman Jim here, he responds, or somebody from his office responds, and also my state elected representative. Um, I've had an audience with her at her office down at the state capitol, and I've also had the opportunity to meet with. Senator Flake in Washington, D.C. when I was there last. So all these folks are, are happy to give you their attention and even their, 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 their time face-to-face. -face. All you need to do is, is reach out and be polite and be diligent. And like Jim mentioned, don't simply fill out a form email and send it off. Get their email address and send them a personalized email. I would say that's... It, it, I've given a lot of talks to groups about sort of how to to be effective and you know it's not all about some of the things that people think about about knowing you for a long time or anything like that it's it's more the the way the contact is handled I would certainly if you're writing an elected official say hey I'm, I'm a constituent in your district I live at such-and-such such address I guess I should say one thing it's, it's always surprising this comes up all the time if you're going to send an email, we may want to follow up with a call because that's, you know, I want to have some other staffer call from the water department to talk about your bill. Or uh, emails are, I think, are really effective because then we can send, we don't have to interpret what you told us. I, I recognizing a third of the people don't have that, but for the two thirds that do, 
send us an email very detailed. I had this problem with the water department. My bill seems wrong. Here it is. Here's my number. We can forward that very quickly, get you an answer. A lot of the holdup comes in, you didn't give us your phone number, you didn't give us your address, <laughs> you didn't give us, I'm not even looking for codes on your form or anything like that that you got in the mail. I'm just looking for kind of basics. Please always provide <laughs> your email, your phone, and your address. That those are, those are just basics that I would say the majority of emails we receive simply don't have. <laughs> I like to call back. That's what I would prefer to do. If it's a complicated answer, I'd rather talk about it than, than try to type up another dissertation online or something. Right. So, and then I usually have to have my staff, could you go try to find a phone number for them or send an email asking for their phone number and then we have this back and forth and that just delays things. So just always remember, you know, the more contact information you give us, the quicker it is for us to have the right person or myself get in touch with you. And uh, our, our forms ask for all that information, but a lot of times it's not provided. And, and I would say, maybe a third actually provide all that information when I get an actual email. Most mm -hmm. people don't send letters. Please never send a fax. The fax is just, for mm -hmm. whatever reasons, it's a black hole. most people don't do it that way, but it just seems like that's that's an ineffective tool. Always always kind of was. No offense to the fax manufacturers out there. Right. In my, in my district. No offense. But, but, uh, <laughs> but, the, but the email is probably the baseline and maybe follow up with a call. Um, if there's a day or two delay, a lot of times it's because we're trying to find out, you know, what the situation is and so forth. Sometimes there are two sides to the story. Always. Uh, you know, if there's a problem with your water bill, sometimes there's a leak or sometimes and we have to sort of figure out, sometimes we have to figure out the legalities of, of what I can actually be involved in. If it's a court case, I really have to just recuse myself. People don't like to hear that, but it's come up even in our own neighborhood. There have been issues about, you know, yard has trash all over it or something. The city has sent you a letter. Um, most people, again, to our point, since the show is about community, so we do have a program. If, if you have a complaint about, if it's a safety complaint, we're going to address that right away. If you have a green pool or the gate open to your pool or something like that, we will send people out to address it immediately as soon as we find out about it. But if it's something weeds in the yard and, you know, we have standards, uh, it's really a complaint-driven system. So for us as a city to have staffers calling you, most times, it's not the staffer going around saying, oh, I don't like that. It was your neighbors. Mm -hmm. Your neighbors are complaining. And, and so I think the statistics, now these are probably a year old, 92% of the people, they get that letter saying, hey, could you take care of this? It's taken care of. That's it. There's never another, there's right. no going to court. There's no nothing else. The letter is enough. That's 92%. Another about 2% say, look, I don't have the financial means to take care of that gate. We'll figure something out. Just ask for help. Again, back to the ask mm -hmm. for help theme. We have ways to work around that to get you, you know, the pool fence fixed and everything. So it's not dangerous for kids in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're trying to provide a safe environment here. That's another couple percent. A couple percent, you got to send a follow-up letter, and then they address it. That leaves us with about 2% left, and that 2% chews up a lot of time and energy going to court and so forth just... Jeez. Just don't want to do something that the other 98% of us right. do, 92% of us without ever having to be contacted, 6%, you know, with some minimal effort, we, we can get it done. I saw that at the state as well, you know, a, a smaller portion of the population chews up a lot of the resources as we try to make sure they're, they're living in a safe environment and so forth. And it's, um, you know, sometimes these things take time to address. As our time draws to a close, Centauri, what else? Uh, just very curious. 
How much of the uh, email or traffic or anything that you get are actual compliments? Oh, almost none. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> Send them an email to me. I'm going to. I mean, yeah, that's not going to ask the question. Uh, every once in a while, you get, a, you get a really nice one that's really meaningful. You help me with that. I mentioned, you know, constituents. Uh, this was a long time ago. Um, but, but I did get a bill through a woman had suggested. It had nothing to do with her personally. It was a public safety issue that she was concerned about as a female. I thought she was right. We got the bill through. Maybe it was in 2004. And one day I walked in and my uh, administrative assistant had this huge, beautiful bouquet of flowers. I was like, oh, you know, wedding anniversary or whatever. She goes, well, actually, they're for you. Well, this was, I was single then. This, this was unprecedented. I'm like, somebody sent me flowers. I mean, who sent me flowers? She said, well, remember that one? It was a very nice thing. I, I don't think I ever heard from her again. Um, the bill did, did have some repercussions and there were high profile arrests made and so forth after the fact. But she just wrote a note saying, I never thought you'd do anything. I never thought I'd hear back from you, which I think is kind of a typical mindset that's right. unfortunate um, that it's like that. I try not to run my office that way. And I, I think there are a lot of people out there, hopefully like George, but maybe there will be a couple other testimonials that we try not to do it that way unless you're swearing at me or something or yelling at my assistant. Uh, I was just talking to a staffer at the national level the other day. I would say if you're going to call in and you're mad, if you want to yell at me, well, I might yell back if I feel like I'm being wrong, but please don't yell at, at the young female who's answering the, the phone in my office. The, there's similar experiences in another office. I went to dinner with a fellow who was discussing that. That's just gotten a little bit out of hand, the swearing and so forth. The decorum has, has been a little bit different than, than I noticed even 10 years ago. Mm. That, that's an unfortunate, but then I look at the last presidential race and I think, well, Makes sense. Maybe, 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 that, maybe that's just the way it is, but I've got young sons. I, I hate to see that. There's no reason for the screaming and everything. If you want to scream at somebody, scream at me, right. Not, right. not somebody else. It's not their fault. Um, and if the staffers did screw up or my assistants did or something, it happens. Everybody makes mistakes. You know, I will address that. You can take it out on me if you want. And we can have a robust discussion about that, but, but it's not really for other people to be behaving in a way that just, you know, isn't, isn't. I don't think appropriate. Well, we appreciate your time very much, Jim. And I know personally how hard you work and you are out visiting your constituents. I'm more than, do that right now, George. Actually, so they get more than any elected representative that that, I, that I'm aware of. Um, so I certainly appreciate that, and I know that's, that Phoenix appreciates. I enjoy that the discussions too. very much. I mean, it's I get good ideas for for what can be improved and so forth. I find it really helpful. Um, and, and welcome the feedback. I really do. Even if it, it's not always positive, um, as I suggested. <laughs> the thank yous I'm not necessarily looking for, but I do like the, the positive, like, hey, could we try to do this? Sometimes there's reasons we can't, but a lot of that stuff over the years we've actually done. I know my colleagues, I think, would tell you the same thing. Excellent. Is there anything else you'd like to share? No. I think uh, I think we covered a lot. I really appreciate the opportunity. I do. I, I hope this is helpful in some small Very way. Very much. It was fantastic. Thank you very much, Jim. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the show and tell a friend. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.